glorifying God is one of those strange subjects for some reason. We don't know what to say about it and what to do about it. I had a buddy of mine who was uh, invited to preach at a very prestigious conference, and he was kind of nervous and all tore up on the inside, and as any of us would be our first time doing something like that. And so he, he called me, and he, he, he said, you know, I, he said, I messed up. He said, I got up there, and I was going to pray before I preached, and I, and I just lost my concentration. I said, we just want to bless your name, Lord, and bless you, God. And he said, that was stupid. I said, well, not really, because we're supposed to be bless his name, and we're supposed to bless God in how we respond to him. Nothing wrong with that. We're so busy asking God to bless us, we, can't, we seem strange. We say, we need to bless God. I want to talk to you about how you really bless God today, how you glorify God, and how this can make a difference in your life. We, uh, we need to know that to give glory to God is to recognize and respond to His majesty and magnificence with worship and service. That's how we glorify Him as we recognize who he is, his position, his power, his very presence, all these attributes, all his actions, we begin to praise him and worship him. We're in awe of him and therefore we glorify him with our adoration and our worship and our service. This is how we glorify his name. This is how we add to his reputation. So as we look at this, I we, we worship God. Uh, we worship the glory of His holiness, His uniqueness. There's none like Him in all the earth. His indescribable divine nature, His eternal existence, His character, His power, and His knowledge. These are the things we worship as we look at His glory. We see His glory in all these things. And I think there's times we need to be still and recognize the glory of these things I just mentioned. We're way too busy. We're way too running to and fro. We're too preoccupied. And we need to sometimes stop and say, let me think on you, dear God. And see your face afresh and anew. And see your heart. And see your power afresh and anew. You see, we're told in Psalms 19.1 that the heavens declare the glory of his creation. Here we see his creative power. The glory of what he can make. And then Isaiah 43, 7 talks about the restoration of the nation of Israel. And here we see that Israel brings a glory to his name because of what they became as a nation. God took one man, created a nation out of nothing, and said, you're going to be where the Messiah comes from. And they were a glory to him because of how he used them and what he could do with a nation. And then Jesus reveals the glory of how he loves us. John 3, 16, we know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now you see how much God loves. And the glory is seen in that magnificent, breathtaking picture of a cross. How much he loves us. So in understanding that. I think Jesus provided the pattern for glorifying God first and foremost. I want us to look at that for a minute. In John 17, verse 4, here's what it says. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, this is God the Son talking to God the Father. And if you understand the incarnation, God, the Son, left heaven, 
didn't think he had to hold on to his equality with God the Father. And, and so he came as a humble servant, taking on the limitations of the flesh, also becoming our example in the flesh of how we respond to the Father. And then in the process, he said, I've come to glorify you on earth. I've come to do something to magnify you to the people, to make you real to the people. You see, prior to the New Testament, they had rather a, 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 a one-dimensional view of God. He was holy, and he was judgmental because he was holy. And that's how they pretty much lived out the Old Testament. Jesus said, I want to bring you another side. He is holy, and because he is holy, he is love. And now we find that he said, I've come to, I've finished the work you've gave me to do. Now, what kind of work did he do? First of all, in teaching the truth, he glorified the Father. When he came and began to teach, as he began his ministry, he would teach in the synagogues, and they said, we've never heard anyone with this kind of authority. That's because they were talking to the author. Man, they were talking to the guy who knew the book, who knew the prophets. He had spoke to them directly. He knew what Isaiah meant. He knew what Jeremiah meant. Because he was the inspirer. And when he spoke, they're saying, we ain't never heard anything like this. Wow. In his teaching, he brought truth to the people. And this is very important because God is glorified in his truth. And I think the biggest tragedy today, perhaps, for people is to sort through what is truth and what is not. Because sometimes we confuse the issues. You see, Jesus had to deal with that. He said, now guys, I want to tell you the truth. I've come to bring truth to you. Eternal truth, everlasting truth, spiritual truth. He brought truth that brought freedom from man-made traditions that were enslaving and putting people in bondage. Rules that they had developed, laws that they had organized. He said, you have said this, but I say this is truth. He came to set them free from useless ceremony that did not mean anything. He said, guys, I've come to tell you how you really live. The Sabbath. The Sabbath. is for you to minister in. You see, he came to seek, bring truth so people could say, oh, this is what I really need to know. Because they had been told some things that didn't really matter. But they were trying to live lives pleasing other people rather than finding the truth that brings glory to God and pleases Him. And so he said, I've come to teach. And we find glory in His authority. He taught of relationships with Him and with God the Father. He said, you can be in me and I can be in you and we can be in the Father. They had never heard anything like that. Really? He wants to have a relationship with me. Yeah, he wants to be a part of your life. He sent me to seek and find you because you were lost. He wants to bring you home, bring you back in. And so he found this truth that becomes real to the people. And in the truth, God is glorified. We need to be a people who share the truth. We share a lot of stuff that don't matter. But we need to be sharing the truth. And then, not only that, in touching people, we saw the glory of God. And he glorified God. Because if you do one, you get the other. 
If you let God's glory show through your life, you also glorify Him in how you live. And so, in touching, can I just tell you some things He did? He touched the diseased, and they saw the glory of God. The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years had gone to exhausted every possible cure and possibility of help. And she finds herself desperate, and she finds herself diseased after 12 years, having nothing left. He said, if I can just touch the hem of His garment, my life will change. I'll be healed. And, he, and she worked her way through the crowd and touched him with his garment, and the virtue, the glory of God, went through his body and touched her life. And she was healed. He called her out of the crowd and said, Woman, i got to talk to you. Let me talk to you for a minute and tell you what's really happened to your life now. And he demonstrated her the glory of God, and also in what happened, God was glorified. That is how we live the Christian life. We reflect God's glory, and then we live in a way that glorifies him. Because we enjoy the results of the reflection of his glory. And not only was it diseased, he, he, he met with the desperate. He touched the desperate people of this world. He made a special trip to a place in Samaria to sit by a well that one lady would come to. A lady that was desperate in her life. She had had broken relationships, broken marriages, broken heart, broken dreams. She was so desperate and lonely, no one would even walk to the well with her. It was customary that many women would come together and, and come to the well together because it was a fellowship time, you know, and they kind of like to talk and do the relationship thing. Nobody wanted a relationship with her. She was desperately lonely and desperately lost. And yet, Jesus sat by the well waiting for her. And when he began to talk, she began to get a glimpse of the glory of God. And as he began to share that you worship God in spirit and in truth, not in man-made tradition and man-made rules, and you begin to find the true essence of eternal life in him. And so all of a sudden, her life is transformed, and she's telling everybody about what she had seen because she had got a glimpse of the glory of God. And in the process of Jesus doing the work for which he came, he was glorifying God. Not only was it the diseased and the desperate, but let's take a look at the doomed. He stepped off the shores onto the, stepped off a boat on the shores, and he was greeted by a demoniac who nobody could control and nobody wanted to be around. They were afraid of this man because of his strength and his violence. And he comes running up to Jesus, and he's possessed with thousands of demons. And he cries out, Thou the Son of God, and Jesus rebuked him and cast the demons out. And the next thing you know, this lunatic by all standards is sitting in his right mind, clothed, demonstrating the glory of God, what he can do. And Jesus glorified the Father in doing the work for which he came. And, and you look further. What about the dead? You know, in Jesus' time, the Pharisees would never consider touching a dead person because it, was, it would make them ceremonially unclean. And so they wouldn't touch a dead person. Jesus didn't have that problem. He would touch Jairus' daughter. He would touch people and say, you come to life. You're not, you're. He would go to the tomb of Lazarus and say, Lazarus, come back to life. Come back to life. Then he'd say, guys, y'all loose him and let him go. He's alive. He ain't dead. He showed the glory of God. And he glorified God by doing for the work for which he came. 
As I see this, I, I see this incredible life where now we see God's power obvious in the life of Christ. My question is, do people see the power of God in your life? For he has given us a work to do. He has empowered us to do that work. Do they see his glory in our lives? And are we glorifying him in how we live, how we serve, and how we worship? And there's another thing in the life of Jesus as a pattern for glorifying God. In teaching truth and touching lies, but also in traveling all the way to the cross. His journey would start with a mock trial and go through a process of the beatings under Pilate's order and then that bruised and battered body, Isaiah says, is beyond recognition, begins to try to carry a cross up the place where he would be laid on and he would be executed. And in the process, he would fall under the weight and they'd call out a volunteer to come and take the cross the rest of the way and he would willingly lay his arms out on the beams and be nailed to a cross, be stretched between heaven and earth and die of suffocation and loss of blood. He would die a ghastly, horrible, indescribable death that we may see the glory of God's love that would love someone like me, undeserving, unconcerned, and yet he would love me, and he would love someone like you, and he would show the glory of this amazing love, awesome grace, and Jesus would glorify the Father. You say, now, why do you, know, why do you say that, Pastor? Because if you go to John 12, verse 27, he speaks of his coming crucifixion to the disciples. And he said, look, now my soul is troubled. What should I say, Father? Save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your Name. Glorify your name. Father, I'm going to die a horrible death. But in my death, glorify your name. Now, what's that? how's that happening? Did God glory in the punishment on his son? No. God gloried in the result of the death of Christ on the cross. God is glorified because you gave your heart to his son and were saved by his grace. And he is glorified in your response to him. Anytime someone comes to the cross and gives their heart to Christ, God is glorified in what took place on that dark Friday. We wear the cross 
Let me explain this. A lot of people wear the cross and have no idea that it's something more than a piece of jewelry. I understand that. But those who wear the cross as followers of Christ, we wear it not to celebrate the execution. That's not why we wear it. We don't delight in the horror of the cross that took place. We wear the cross because it is our way of celebrating the love of God that has no limitation. Would hold nothing back. Even the death of his son, that's the cross. That he would love me with such an inexhaustible love. So that's how we glorify him, by responding to that love. Now, I've talked about Jesus. Let's talk about you and talk about me. Followers of Christ are to be like mirrors reflecting the glory of the Lord. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We're to be like mirrors reflecting the glory of the Lord. And in that, we, and the only way that happens is we live glorifying the Lord. You don't get one without the other. Now watch. 2 Corinthians 3.18. He's talked about the illustration of Moses having to veil his face because he had seen just a portion of God's glory. You remember the Mount Sinai experience and they're doing the Ten Commandments and God's, and God's doing this work. And Moses said, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. And God says, Moses, I can't let you do that. My glory will kill you. If you get the full benefit of my glory, it'll kill you. But I'll let you see a part of my glory. I'm going to pass by you. He said, I'm going to put my hand, I'm going to cover you, I'm going to veil you, but I'm going to pass by you. And when I remove that, that covering, I'm going to let you see the backside of my glory. A portion and just from that encounter when he came and, and when he would see the glory of God and because of his, his, his intense communication with God, he would come before the people and they could not look at his face. They had to put a veil over him because of his countenance before the people because he had been before God in such an amazing way. And here's what the writer says. Here's what Paul says. We all, with unveiled faces, he said, Israel has veiled hearts because of their unbelief. They still have not seen the glory of God. They've not seen the glory of his salvation in personal relationship, in the forgiveness of sins. They've not seen, experienced the glory of his love. And they have still not yet believed, and their heart is veiled. They cannot see this glory. But we, who have been saved, are able to see, behold, the glory of God in his great love for us, in his power to change our lives, in the manifestation of spiritual gifts and abilities, in the manifestation of his grace, in the manifestation of his power, we're able to behold the glory of God and we know who it is because we know who he is and we have this ability to trust and believe in who he is. And there's no veil that hides us from who he is or the truth about him. And so he says, because of this, watch this, we are reflecting the glory of the Lord. As we behold him, we begin to reflect what we behold. 
and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, he's talking about a process. As I look upon the glory of God and I begin to live a life that will glorify God, I'm experiencing what we call life-changing growth or sanctification. I'm going through a process that's not instantaneous. It's not like instant coffee or instant grits. It's a process that will take days, weeks, months, and years. And guys, I'm still in the process. Hadn't got there yet. But I like where I am compared to where I was last year. And, and I can't wait to see what he may continue to do. But you see, it's a process. And he said, we go from that, as I get to see more of his glory, I, it changes me. And then I get to live my life in a way that's obedient to him. And I begin to glorify him. And the process continues to grow. Now, we reflect God's glory in our spiritual journey. We are to reflect him in our, people see his glory in our changed lives. When we come to Christ, we become a new creation. We become different. It may not be obvious at first. Sometimes it is very obvious. But they begin to see something different. They wonder, what makes this tick now? How does that work? And why is this person doing this way? And why do they, why they have a sense of compassion and care? It's because they, our spiritual birth has occurred. And God is now being glorified in how we live out our spiritual life. Our salvation, our behavior, our attitudes, our pain, our pleasures, our struggles, our successes are mirrors to reflect God's glory. That's how it works. We become a new creation. And therefore, we now demonstrate the glory of his power to create things in us. Do you know, prior to the fall in the Garden of Eden, there was Adam and Eve who lived in perfect, sinless existence. And each day, God would come in fellowship with them, and in their faces, he would see the fullness of his glory because they were perfect. They were without sin. In the process, they gave to temptation, they gave in, they sinned, and now it's like God could see his mirror reflection in them but when they sin, it's like someone took a rock and threw it into a mirror and shattered it into thousands of pieces, some of them falling off the ground, some leaving cracked uh, pieces of glass. And if you look into a cracked mirror or where pieces are missing, you don't see the whole picture. So what you find is all of a sudden humanity became a fractured mirror. We may have some pieces that look like God. There's some, we may be good in some areas and kind in some areas because we have that little bit of sliver of God-like, but we don't have the whole picture. We're broken. We're shattered. We're incomplete. We're unfulfilled. Nothing can change that but God. And that's why Jesus came to die on the cross to bring the pieces back together and bring a wholeness to the mirror image in our lives. For now, while I'm not yet perfect, I am being perfected by his grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now I begin to look more like Jesus and look more like God's grace and God's love and God's holiness. And people begin to see God in our lives. Now, that's normal Christian living. People should see something in us. And they should be asking us questions of how do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? They ought to be seeing something that draws them to God. And so we reflect Him in our journey. But also we reflect God's glory in our 
words and our works, not only the changes they see and the, 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 the specifics of our salvation, but in Matthew 5, 16, it says this. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's kind of what Jesus said, wasn't it? Father, I've come to do the work you've given me. I've finished it that you may be glorified. Now he says to you and to me, guys, I want you to live your life in such a way that your light shines, shining on my glory, my grace, that I may be glorified. And so when people say, how are you getting through that, that tough time? Instead of saying, well, you know, I'm just working real hard at it. You can tell the truth. Man, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't make it. Well, I don't want to offend anybody, Pastor. You think when you rob God of his glory, you're not offending anybody? I mean, I'd rather hurt your feelings than his. No, no offense. But he's bigger than you. Amen. I, so I don't want to hurt his feelings. Now, I do it sometimes anyway. I don't mean to. But hey, I want people to know, you know, I can do this because God does this. God's given me the power. God's given me a word. God's given me direction. God has ministered to me. God is teaching me. You see, we need to give God some credit. Now, we like to give him credit for the bad stuff. And we like to blame him for stuff we don't take responsibility for. It's about time Christians learn if we're going to glorify God, we better give him credit where his credit is due. And say, dear God, I couldn't make this without you. I couldn't get through this death in my family without you. I couldn't survive and endure the process of a prodigal child without you. I don't know how I'd make it. We're not for you. People say, how do you do it? Were it not for God, I couldn't. We need to become so aware. We, we, don't, we don't get this, guys. We're too busy just kind of just trying to get by and say stuff that people kind of go along with. The people of God need to brag on the God of our salvation and our sanctification. Man, we need to be saying, God, it's, up, it's Him. It's Him. If Jesus in his perfection would glorify the Father for all that he was doing, surely in our imperfections we understand we ain't nothing without God. And so we look at this and we go, here we are. So in our words and our works, we begin to glorify him. Guys, our lives should not revolve around us. Now let me tell you what I think is plaguing the church today and plaguing believers. We have grown up in a world and a culture that says it's all about us. We're told that from the time we're the cutest little baby anybody's ever seen. And isn't that the greatest toddler you've ever seen? Can't nobody walk as good as they can. That, that's the smartest child that goes to school. And they're just great. And we re revolve our calendars around them, our checkbook around our children. And everything we do is around our children. They're the center of our life. And we as children understand we're the center of life. And so we grow up and think we're just always going to be the center of life. And everybody should revolve around us, even God. And because we're the center. My parents told me I was a sinner. My grandparents told me I was a center of life. Man, I'm the guy. I'm the woman. The Bible doesn't teach that. I'm not the center of life. I'm not to be the center of my life. God's to be the center of my life. Oh. You see, if I'm the center of my life, I think everybody's supposed to make me happy. 
Everybody's supposed to please me and serve me because I'm the sinner. And the truth is, I even think God is. I kind of say, God, aren't you, you're supposed to bless me today. God, you're not, I'm not happy today. What you, what you going to do for me? Suppose God's greater glory is found in your struggles rather than your successes. I mean, the greatest illustration of glory to the Father from the Son was the cross. It ain't about me. We, we think it's all about what I like, what I feel, what, I, what makes me convenient, what makes me comfortable. It has nothing to do with that. Our spiritual journey is about pleasing God, coming to a point of self-denial and saying, God, I deny myself, take my cross daily and follow you. And it's not about me. It is about you. How can I glorify you? How can I pass glory on to you? How can I extend your reputation, expand your reputation among the people? How can I make you large among the people? How can I let them see how great and glorious you are? How gracious you are? How can, I, how can I do this? Until we settle the issue of who's at the center of our lives, we cannot effectively glorify God. And I think the biggest tragedy of church today is we think it's about us. Do you know... Uh, okay. We have a population of 97,000 people in Floyd County. I was starting to hear this the other day. I, I was meeting with some pastors. We were talking, and the results have come in from all the studies of various denominations in the, in the county. 97,000 people live in our county. 97,000. That's a lot of people. 12,000 show up for church on Sunday. That's including the Protestants, the Catholics, and even the cults. That's everybody. 12,000. <laughs> we got churches on every corner. And I think somewhere we need to take a long look and say, dear God, what is wrong with me? Because ain't nothing wrong with you. We have become victims of being self-centered. We just like being in the middle. We like it being around about us. And we like it to be about us. And, and God's saying, if you make it about me, I can probably do something with you. But until you make it about me, I cannot let you see my glory because you're not yet glorifying me. I'm convinced churches aren't seeing the glory of God. Man, they just aren't seeing it. And the lost world's going, ain't no reason to go there. There ain't nothing happening. Oh, man. So uh, until we settle this issue, and I mean this, please hear me. I think it's a struggle of the Christian life. I don't think, hey, I struggle with it. Lord, I, today I need to make sure you're just, I, I'm involving around you, not you're around me. And there's times I have to say, dear God, I'm kind of getting in the middle on it. Forgive me. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I, I've kind of slipped over the middle hand, and it's all about me. Mercy. Guys, we got we to gotta catch that, and we got to break out of that thinking. Or we'll never experience the glory of God like he wants to do in our lives. And so as I look at this, I say, dear God, help me to deal with this issue in my life. 
You see, what the world is wanting to see is what God can do with you and me. I got an email uh, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and it's great. One of those days when you needed really good news, you go, Lord, it's been a tough day. I've done a lot of bad news, a lot of hurt, and, and a lot of stuff. And I'm going, God, it's been a tough day. People are hurting. But then I got this email, and it was like a breath of fresh air. I got to see a moment of God's glory. Thank you, Jesus. That's great. His email that um, we passed it on, and Barry passed it on, and Deacon's got it, and I don't know how many of you got it, but Mark uh, Gray sent me an email, and the thing was, hey, led my 72-year-old former stepfather to the Lord. Uh, I'm not the former father-in-law to the Lord. I led him to the Lord. 72 years old. He tells a story. They get down on their knees and they're praying. They're crying. And they saw the glory of God. And I look back and I say, God, it's so amazing what you do with Mark Gray. Golly, what you do with this guy that a few years ago wasn't saved and a few years ago couldn't share faith, but golly, he is a witnessing machine. Lead him around. He sees the glory of God and he glorifies God and how he serves the Lord. And there, then this, the process continues. You glorify God, you see his glory. You glorify God, you see his glory. I'm convinced we're too content not to see the glory of God. We just like hanging around. Guys, I don't want to just hang around. I want to see his glory. Well, y'all get a lot more than 830 crowd, dude. I'm sorry. And God just kind of. But one more thing. One more thing. We reflect God's glory in relationships in our demonstration of love to one another. You know, I, I talked about the choir and, and their relationship and worship and their other and to Kevin and to you guys. You know what you like about the choir? You like, you like the way they, they come in, they sing to the glory of God, and, and, and they really are trying to make God the center. I know that's Kevin's heart. I know it's their heart. But I like watching them. I like him. I like watching Paul Giles sing. I don't know if he can sing or not, but I just like watching him. I'm, I don't know. Never really heard him, but I like watching him because he has a countenance on his face. I like watching Todd. I, I like watching all the choir. I, I shouldn't pick a name. I just, I, I, I just like watching y'all sing. I, I like watching the countenance on your face because you're excited about glorifying God. And what's happening is you're, you experience a little bit of his glory when you do that. Now, while you're looking at the choir and you're saying, boy, don't they look like they enjoy what they're doing? They're looking at you. And they're wondering if some of you are enjoying what you're doing. Because the countenance on your face. They're looking. They see it. You see, our countenance says a lot about our heart. 
I mean, I, you know when I'm happy, and you pretty much let me know when I'm not. Not hard to hide. He said, and when you come, as you come to the worship center to worship, there should be a countenance that reflects being somewhere experiencing the glory of God in a week. And you've come to glorify. You've not come to be fed. You've not come to be pleased. You've not come to be ministered to. You have come to glorify the King of kings and Lord of lords. And in the process, you will see his glory in ministry and speaking to your heart and touching your life. That's how it works. So, they see it in our love for one another. Sometimes that love shows amazing grace and forgiveness. Sometimes that love shows a sense of confrontation and calling for repentance. But it's love. So, in up until 1543, the year 1543, which is a few hundred years ago, up until 1543, every person on planet Earth believed that planet Earth was the center of the universe. That's in our, that's in our, that's in our history books and Science books is going to, that's not, that's not like, that's, that's public knowledge. Till 1543, people said, everything revolves around us. But in 1543, something happened. Copernicus, who was, uh, who asked some questions. He said, if, if everything revolves around us, why do the seasons change? If everything revolves around us, why do we see the stars only at night? And he began to ask questions like that, and people are going, oh, it don't matter, those stupid questions, because everything revolves around us. And finally he said, no, I've studied this. And you see that ball of fire in the sky? <laughs> we revolve around it. That's the center. The planets rotate around the sun. I want to ask you a question. What will it take for you to stop believing you're the center of life and begin to let your life revolve around God and Jesus Christ? Really? Really? Do you know when with the choir was singing and the congregation, I was singing glorify his name, glorify his name, all the earth, glorify the name, all the earth. God just kind of give me a little word. I scribbled it down on my notes. As we were singing that song, which I hope when you're singing that God's ministering to you. That's why we sing. And so he ministered to me and he said, you know, when I was, we were singing that song, I said, well, we have the opportunity to glorify God in a way Jesus never can. Now, you got to let that sink in. We have a way to glorify God in a way Jesus never can. We can glorify God in our repentance. Jesus never had to repent. He was without sin. You and I can't say that. But in our repentance to turn from our sin 
and come to the cross and be saved and have our sins forgiven glorifies God incredibly. All the angels come to their feet and begin to sing and praise God who's the author of salvation. They glorify the Son in whose blood has covered our sin. We have an opportunity that Jesus will never have. We can glorify God in our repentance. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ, you've never turned from your trying to save yourself, would you do it today? Would you finally say, God, I give up. I'm tired. I can't do it another time, another day, another Sunday. I give in to you today. I give you my heart. Would you do that on the very first verse? Come and say, come, come on. Don't wait. As believers in Christ, we too need to repent at times. And when we repent, he's glorified in our repentance. Perhaps there's something you need to repent of. Get your heart right with God over and glorify his name.